the first chapter of Acts, if you would please. First chapter of Acts. And as you're turning there, the last several weeks, I have tried to take us down a spiritual timeline of sorts that surrounds the Easter season. Back on April 20th, seven weeks ago, we celebrated Easter. And on that day, we talked about how before Christ comes into our heart, or before He died and rose again, really all of our souls were spiritually dead. They were spiritually asleep. And if you remember on that day, that we said because Jesus rose again, He came awake again, He conquered sin, death, hell, and the grave, and Because of that, we too can come alive. We can come awake. It's time to wake up in Jesus Christ. On April 27th, just a week later, we saw how Jesus appeared to a select group of individuals. In those seven to eight days after Easter took place, Jesus appeared to his disciples and he appeared to some women, and I asked the question to you, were you still in awe of the miracle of the resurrection? Was a risen Savior still making an impact on your life, or had you just gone back to life as usual? We had our Easter services and our big Easter day, and the week after that, were you just back to normal, or had the resurrection really made an impact on your life? A week after that, on May 4th, two weeks after Easter, we talked about how the disciples may have been doing during the 40, what they've been doing during those 40 days after the resurrection. And on that Sunday, on May 4th, we too were in the middle of that time period. We were just a couple weeks after the resurrection. And we asked the question, as maybe the disciples asked that day, as they watched their Savior ascending into heaven, they may have said to themselves, now what? What are we to be found doing during this time of life? And we were able to look at the Scriptures and see that we are to be about the Great Commission, that we are to not doubt in our faith, but to stay strong in our faith. And we also talked about when when Jesus confronted Peter, what kind of love do you have for me, Peter? And Jesus was meaning that we need to have an agape kind of a love for Jesus. That is the kind of love, a selfless love, a sacrificial love, an abandoning of everything in our life kind of a love. And I can already tell my throat's going to give me fits. So if I could get someone uh, to, honey, um, I said honey and Dick stood right up. Um, (laughs) Thank you. Love you too, sweetie. It's okay. He's sweet, isn't he, Jeannie? Yeah. I'm scaring you. Yeah. So I'm going to try and talk a little softer until I get some water. On this spiritual timeline, as we looked at the life of the early church and as we looked at the life of the disciples days and a couple weeks after the resurrection, we can learn some lessons as well. In the Hebrew tradition, now follow me on this, try and wrap your mind around this. 
In the Hebrew tradition, seven weeks after the Passover, the Jews would come together and they would celebrate. Maybe my batteries might be dead. All right, Ryan, you're going to be my man up there. Go ahead, brother. Advance me to the next slide if you can. It's not working. There we go. The Jews would celebrate the Feast of Weeks, or they would celebrate the Feast of Harvest. During this time, the Jews would give thanks to God for the new grain and the new wheat of the season. And they also used this time to commemorate the time when God gave Moses and the Israelites the Law and the Ten Commandments. But what is very interesting is what Paul said in Colossians 2. He said this, So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come. But the substance is of Christ. What was he saying here? He was saying, God was saying, look, I gave you Israelites and Jews all these feasts and all these Sabbaths and, and special celebrations that you are to keep for me. But really, God was saying through Paul, look, those were all a foreshadow of what was yet to come. What you are celebrating, Jews. Wow, we've got, we got a tag team going on here. Okay. That's all right. Okay. Um, Thank you, that's good. It was just a foreshadowing of what was going to be coming in the future. Everything that we see the Jews celebrating in the Old Testament was a foreshadowing, which is what that verse talked about. So there was a foreshadowing of the Shavuot, of the Feast of Weeks, or the Feast of Harvest. And as we will soon see, this Jewish feast, thank you, was indeed a foreshadowing of a dynamic day in the life of the church. So typically seven weeks after Passover, they would make this celebration. Let's go back to when Jesus was crucified and when he rose again. This too took place during the week of Passover. Seven weeks later, Jerusalem was once again filled with these Jews as many of them had come back into Jerusalem to celebrate that feast, that feast of weeks, the feast of harvest. The town was more than likely still buzzing with what had happened seven weeks earlier, was still probably going crazy over having Jesus been crucified, and there's these rumors of him having rose again. There's a very uh, active atmosphere, electric atmosphere in Jerusalem, even seven weeks after that. Now, had we been one of the 11 disciples, go back there with me, seven weeks after Jesus died and rose again, where are we? More than likely, they're probably cramped in some little room, some upper room in Jerusalem. Because Jesus gave them instructions when he ascended, if you remember. He said, now go back to Jerusalem and tarry there. Wait for what had been promised. So here are the eleven plus many others in this room together. I don't think it was nearly as big as our sanctuary. Uh, I don't know exactly how many we can seat, but it was a room that could probably seat at least 200 people, but not nearly as big as our room. And, and if you were one of the 11, you were probably coming and going 
secretively because the Jews that had crucified Jesus were on the lookout for any uprisings. They were not going to allow any of these Jesus followers to cause any more trouble. So the disciples were coming in and out, being very careful not to be seen. But here they are waiting. And they knew that Jesus said that they needed to wait on the promise the Holy Spirit. They knew it had something to do with that, but they really didn't know who or what that was. And here they are waiting. And let's read Acts chapter 1. Let's start with verse 9. Acts 1 verse 9. It will not be up on the screen, but follow with me. Speaking of Jesus, now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received them out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room and where they were staying, where they were staying Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication, with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers." If you would, go to chapter 2, verse 1. Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost had finally come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look! Are not all of these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phytigra and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya, adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, Whatever could this mean? Others mocking said they are full of new wine. Verse 14. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. 
And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Isn't there just power in just the words of God? Wow. This mighty event took place seven weeks after Jesus rose again. No church. For you and I, whether you realize it or not, you and I, today marks the seventh Sunday after Easter. Symbolically speaking, we are exactly where the disciples were on the day of Pentecost. The day that the Holy Spirit burst onto the scene. I want to begin a series today, that which dwells within the Holy Spirit. Now hear me out on this. For a lot of people, maybe some of you here today, the Holy Spirit is somewhat of a mystery. It's a word that even scares some people. There can be a lot of confusion and even a lot of controversy that surrounds the Holy Spirit. If this is you today, I need to tell you that the Holy Spirit is not some mysterious, unknown element within Christianity. He is not some thing. God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit is not like... um, It's not like... um, Thing one, thing two, and thing three in the Christian faith. (laughs) The Holy Spirit is not a thing. The Holy Spirit is a person. Somebody say amen to that. He is a person. The third person of the Holy Trinity. And He has a specific role to play in my life and in your life. Genesis 1-2, the earth was, with, was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. A few verses later in verse 26, then God said, let us, who's he talking to? We believe he's talking to Jesus, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Listen, the Holy Spirit existed with God and Jesus at the dawn of creation. But He came in His fullness on the day of Pentecost. You see, the Holy Spirit is not a subject to be studied, but a person to be worshipped. To be worshipped, to be adored, to be praised. There is a book that I'm reading by my mentoring pastor, Bill Constantopoulos. The title is The Holy Spirit Within. It's a great resource. If you're looking for a book on the Holy Spirit, I would 
advise you reading that book. He has a lot of great things to say about that. So exactly what is the role of the Holy Spirit? There's no way that I can encompass all of the roles, all of the things that the Holy Spirit can do in our life in just a few messages. But I want to take just a few messages to kind of hit on some of the ones that I believe that are vital for us at this time. Just before Jesus ascended into heaven, he said this in Luke 24, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. We will talk about the power of the Holy Spirit in weeks to come. But one thing that we know for sure is that the Holy Spirit brings power in our life. He brings power in our life. And I believe, I would think, a a crowd this size, there's got to be someone in here that says, I need that. I lack power. I lack strength. In my life, what is the problem? Jesus also said in John 14, And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Notice here how Jesus, and I italicized it there, and Jesus said, I will give you another helper. The Greek translation for another helper puts it this way. One who bends at your side in time of need in order to help you. Isn't that beautiful? Let me read that again. This is the description of the Holy Spirit. One who bends at your side in time of need in order to help you. If there's one thing that I am learning, the older that I get, is that I need all the help that I can get. I need someone who will come alongside me at times and will bend down to help me in my time of need. Listen, no other religion offers that. No other religion offers that. If you want to receive help in your time of need, if you want to reach some state of perfection, all the other religions require you and I to reach up somehow, some way to this God through works or various unfolding steps and plans. But not our God. Our God, through the Holy Spirit, promises to bend down. He came down to where you and I were at. And I say praise God for that. That's the kind of God that I need. That's the kind of God that you need. Amen. But hear me out on this. Neither you nor I can live a successful Christian life without the Holy Spirit reigning and living deep within. Let me say that again. You and I cannot, it's impossible to live a successful Christian life without the Holy Spirit reigning and ruling within. You may appear to be living, but there's no real life inside. 
Whenever we lived in Columbus, um, our neighbor, Greg and Pam. Uh, Greg uh, grew up in Sabina, Ohio. And Greg uh, told me a story that um, had um, I not seen the newspaper article, and if you want to read it, here it is. So this is a true story. Had he not given me a copy of the newspaper article, I probably would not have believed this story. But here it is. Um, in 1964, the Littleton Funeral Home in Sabina laid to rest a man simply known as Eugene. And what's amazing about this story is that Eugene passed away 35 years earlier than that. In 1929, this man was found deceased in the town. He was laying in a ditch and they found him and he had passed away. And no one knew who he was and he was just given the name Eugene by the funeral home. In an effort to give family or friends time to identify the deceased, the funeral home used a powerful embalming agent, one that practically froze Eugene's body in time, and he became so well-preserved that he simply looked like he was asleep. That's all. And then the funeral home then made a clear box case. Now, this is a crazy story. But they made a clear box case, and they just put Eugene in the case. And they built another building off to the side of the funeral home where Eugene could be seen. It had windows and you could walk by and and, uh, there was Eugene for 35 years. Um, And believe it or not, some rather... um, well, you put whatever adjective you want in front of it, but pranksters would often break into the building and they would take Eugene and they would put him at different places in the town just to be a different prankster. But it is estimated that over one million people, one million, you want to call them tourists, came through in 35 years just to see Eugene. (laughs) Is that not incredible? Hopefully to be claimed by some family member or some friend. They traced him back to Cincinnati, but the lot where he was raised was vacant of a house. One million people came by to see Eugene. Then 35 years later, in 1964, the funeral home said that it was finally time to lay him to rest. You see, they were amazed at how Alive he looked, but just sleeping. But you see, Eugene may have appeared to have looked alive, but he indeed had been dead for a very long time. Why do I share this story? I really believe there's a truth to be tapped into here. I believe there are many in our churches today who are like this. They're trying to live without the influence of the Holy Spirit in their life, trying to do it on their own. They may appear to be alive, but inside there's no power, there's no life, there's death, there's no ability to live the victorious life, church. 
the ability to do that. They lack the ability to hear and to sense what the Holy Spirit is telling them. You know, sometimes I'm guilty of this as well. When we pray, we pray, God, Jesus, but how many times do we specifically address the Holy Spirit? He is a person, the third person of the Holy Trinity, there to intercede, there to help, to be another helper to us. I'm here to tell you that you cannot afford to live one day without the Holy Spirit's control, or if you do, you too will begin to shrivel up and die. Those who do this will either slowly fade or they'll quickly fall away. Listen, the Word of God tells us that we need to be filled with the Spirit, Ephesians says. We are to walk by the Spirit, Galatians tells us. We are to live by the Spirit, in Galatians. We are to be led by the Spirit. When a soul is sold out to the Holy Spirit, there is indeed evidence in their life, just to name a few. His presence will be with us and in us. His presence will be with us and in us. We will be filled with power. We will undergo a purging and a cleansing within. And we will exhibit the fruits of the Spirit. Probably just a little preview of where the Lord is going to lead us in the coming weeks. Now, don't get scared whenever I tell you that all that was just my introduction. I remember when I was a kid and a pastor would do that and he'd say, I'm just getting started. I'd go, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> no. I'm just going to hit on one point today. All right? One point. One thing to kick things off. The Holy Spirit will be with us, will be in us, and he will be on us. The Holy Spirit will be with us, he will be in us, and he will be on us. On us. Whether it be through a dramatic event or most of the time in that still, small voice, let me tell you emphatically I don't want this just to be something that a preacher says or something that a pastor says, but let me tell you emphatically, and there are many who would get up here and, and testify the Holy Spirit is indeed real. He is real, as real as the person sitting next to Matter of fact, he's more real than the person sitting next to you. He's real. Do you know him? Do you have that intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit has no limitations. He can indeed manifest himself in marvelous ways. Let's just think about a few of them of what we already read today in Acts chapter 2. There were three powerful manifestations that are revealed here. If you're not sure about the Holy Spirit, it's just, just some mysterious entity in the Christian faith. We don't really understand it. Is he really real? If you look, we can hear that in Acts 2, 2, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing wind. There was no doubt that they physically heard the Holy Spirit that day. Amen? They heard Him. What a wonderful, incredible event that was. Secondly, we can also see by eyes, verse 3, there appeared to them divided tongues as of 
fire. Now, we do not know exactly what was seen, but whatever it was, it says, and it appeared to them. They saw something with their eyes. Could have been some vision, some image of fire, split fire, but whatever the scene was, the Holy Spirit was indeed real. He was there. He was palpable. He could be experienced. And then we saw him appear in speech. Acts 2.4. They began to speak with other tongues. Now just stop. Some of you are probably wondering, okay, where is he going to go with this? This is where we get a little bit nervous, don't we? We just get a little bit antsy. What, what direction is our pastor going to go with this? Many run wild with this passage. And I'm not going to take too long with this. But let me just give you a real quick version of what we believe to be truth here. Many use this verse to support wild, irrational, confusing behavior. And I said to you, don't be led astray or confused by this. Corinthians tells us that the Holy Spirit does all things in order. And there is no confusion and all things will be in order. And if you understand, if you study long enough, the Greek translation of the word tongues is a known language. Some of you are thinking, thank goodness he's saying that right now. It is a known language. Remember, at this time, there, and it just, it just, we just read it, all of these Jews, um, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia, they were Jews from all the areas. They were there in the city that day, speaking other languages. They may have been Jews, but they also had other languages, and they were there that day, that week, for the Festival of Weeks. There was no babbling. There was no speaking in a language unknown to men, but dialects spoken and known. And known. Somebody um, said, what exactly does that mean? Why don't we really see tongues today? I, I have different opinions on all that, but let me give you an idea of what I think the true t- interpretation of biblical tongues is. And I believe this story came from John Conley. He's passed away, long-time Church of God pastor. Many of you know who I'm talking about. But, but this is what I believe the gift of tongues is. John Conley, many years ago, was speaking in another country. He had an interpreter next to him. Um, and as you know, you probably have seen this, typically a, an evangelist uh, um, uh, speaks and then he stops and then the interpreter interprets it and he speaks in the, uh, uh, the other language. And John said that he was preaching back and forth and they were going back and forth and all of a sudden he realized that his interpreter was no longer speaking, was no longer repeating what he was saying. John was just kept going on and on. He realized, wait a minute, they're not interpreting for this. So he stopped and he leaned over to the interpreter and he said, is there a problem here? What's going on? You're not interpreting. And the interpreter said, they no longer need me. They are hearing you in their native tongue. Wow. That's the gift of tongues. That's the gift. A known language. I just got goose. Praise bumps right there, goosebumps. A known language. I haste on. Mm. A known language. So we do not need to be confused about 
what happened that day. Let me talk about one more thing. The Holy Spirit is a very real person. He is able to manifest himself in amazing ways. But another way that we can sense that the presence of God is with us, is in us, and is on us, is when the Holy Spirit comes on God's people when they praise him. Psalm 22, verse 3 says, God inhabits the praises of his people. Now, if you just think about that just for a second, the word inhabits, what does that mean? God is, if God is inhabiting a place, if you are inhabiting a place, that means that you are living there, you are residing there, you are resting there, you are there. And it says that God inhabits the, what? the praises of his people. So that whenever we are worshiping and praising God, that means God is there. And if God is there, the Holy Spirit is there as well. Paul and Silas experienced this incredible presence when they were in the Philippian jail. Many of you know the story. Here they are. Things were not looking good for them. They had been beaten for witnessing about God and testifying about Jesus Christ. They were thrown into jail. Now, you and I, what would we have done? Whine and complain? Fretted? Lost sleep? Wringing our hands? God, this is it. I'm done, God. But at midnight, they were found singing songs and praising God. Around midnight, they were worshiping the Lord. They began to inhabit the praises. God began to inhabit the praises of His people. And it says at that time that the walls shook and the, 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 the doors were thrown open. See, that night they experienced a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. A powerful manifestation. Bars Mill Church of God, hear me out on this. If you want to experience the palpable presence of the Holy Spirit, listen, I'm not advocating a lot of man-made emotion. I'm not trying to, to uh, get you to do um, things that will get you to act crazy and weird. I'm not advocating that. But do you want to feel the presence of God? Man, I do. And I, I don't want to just feel Him whenever I'm just by myself. I want to feel Him when we are together. You, you want to be able to feel that palpable experience? Then I'm telling you, come into this place with thanksgiving in your heart. I noticed it this morning. There were women in here praying early this morning. And as soon as I entered the sanctuary, I felt the presence of the Holy Spirit. Because they were praying and they were worshiping and they were praising God. Be it in personal or in corporate times. Praise Him. Praise Him. That's one of the things that Rick Webb has really helped me with in my walk. Is we need... If not every day, very frequently, we need to incorporate times into our daily devotional life. Times when we just praise Him. We, we, we throw on the songs that really minister to us, whatever that might be to you, and just praise Him. 
Oh, how important it is that you and I come into this place on Sunday and on Wednesday with hearts prepared to worship him. Listen, the praise team is not up here to try and work up some magical potion to get you into the service. We can't do that. We can't do that. Only you hold the keys if you want to experience, if you want to feel the presence of the Holy Spirit. You hold the ability whenever you come here ready, whenever you come here prepared to worship him. Maybe we, and I say we because I look at myself, maybe we need to start changing our habits on Saturday night. Maybe we need to be careful what it is that we're doing or what we're not doing. Maybe we need to spend more time just getting our hearts ready to worship God. You see, you all, many of you, have been in the presence of a service to where the Holy Spirit was so thick you could just cut it. Why is that? Because God's people were praising Him. I'm, go- I'm going to share one more story, and then I'm going to close. It's, it's powerful. Some of you, I think, were there. Whenever uh, Steph and I left years ago, went to Winchester, um, I was asked to come back, goodness gracious, it may have been 10 years ago, give or take. Um, I believe Brother Mark Swartz or somebody asked me to come back and do the music at a men's retreat at Warsaw. It was in the fall, and, and um, um, I remember bringing uh, Randy Humphreys with me from, from Winchester, and we came up, and I was doing worship. And at that time, I don't know what the building is the whale on the side, the kids where the kids meet, okay, whatever building that was, but that's where we were meeting. And it was in the fall, and it was really cold that particular weekend. Chuck, you were there, weren't you? I think you were there as well. And it was really cold, and and we had a number of services, I believe, on Saturday. I think it was Friday or Saturday. And in the morning, it was like a 10 o'clock session in the morning. It was really cold in there, but they had a beautiful, there's a beautiful fireplace in there. And before the 10 o'clock service, there were guys trying to get that fire started. And uh, they, they tried everything. They tried matches. They tried lighter fluid. They tried one of those little sticks that you kind of turn on. They could not get that wood to light. Now, that's pretty insulting to a bunch of guys who can't get a fire lit into a men's retreat. But, um, so that's, you know, it was very frustrating. And uh, they tried and tried and tried and tried and tried and tried. And I don't know what it was, if the wood was just too damp or wet or whatever it was, but they gave up. We went through that service and um, had a great service. In the afternoon, this is three, four, four or five hours later. Nothing had been done at all uh, to that fire situation. Three, four, four or five hours later, we went to another service. And there was a moment to where the worship and the singing went to a different level. The men just began to just worship God. You could feel it. You could sense it. They were just really into the presence of God. And I'm not kidding you, in the middle of that song, that fire went like that. No one had touched it for for three or four, four or five hours. But in the midst of the presence of God, that fire just, man, just took off. And call me crazy, but I believe that was the Holy Spirit manifesting himself at that time. It was incredible. I don't know if anybody was here at that time. I think some of you may have been there, but again, I got praise bumps already all going all over me. Um, the presence of God. Again, I, I don't say that we live... Listen, I believe that the Christian life is lived Monday through Thursday. 
you know, anybody can live for the weekend, the Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, but the Christian experience, the real work, the real growth happens tomorrow. What kind of life are you going to live when you get back to work? Right, Mark? That's it. But I believe if you are preparing, if you're living the way you need to live Monday through Thursday, then there will be times in your life where God will give you a mountaintop experience like that. There will be times like that. But most of the time, I live within the still, small voice of the Holy Spirit. And I'm just here to encourage you today. And I ask you, is the Holy Spirit real in your life? We're going to be going down a journey in the next couple of weeks. It's the Holy Spirit. Now, we, we can get in. I may get into this if the Lord leads me in this direction. But some of you may say, well, I, I mean, I accepted Jesus years ago. Isn't the Holy Spirit in me? I mean, what, why do we need to talk about more of the Holy Spirit? Well, number one, because the Bible says we need to. <laughs> and you can only answer this question. Is the Holy Spirit truly in you? Is he dwelling with you? And is he on you? You. You've ever been around those people, those, those Christians, you can just tell the Holy Spirit's just all over them? There's just something about them. There's just a presence. There's just a spiritual Holy Spirit halo that's just about them. That's what I want. I want that kind of experience. I want that experience to where whenever I come into contact with people, they'll say, there's just something different about that guy. That's what we want in our presence here, isn't it not? We want people to come into our doors and say, wow, there's just something about that place. God is pulling me. I, I know there's things I've got to change in my life. And, and, and some of those messages are getting uncomfortable, and I wish he would stop, but I, I want to keep coming back. There's just something about that place. It's the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's powerful. You need him. I need him. Would you bow your heads, please? Dick, I don't know what you've chosen. Wow. Only you can honestly and truthfully answer the question. Yes, that is my experience with the Holy Spirit. That's what I have or know. I want more of that. I want more of that. Father, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. Um, Lord, I thank you for the truth that is in your word. More importantly, I pray, Holy Spirit, specifically to you. I just did it again. I just did. I, I forgot to leave you out of that, Holy Spirit. Lord, Holy Spirit, you are here to lead us and to guide us and to help us in your fullness and in your power. God, as we begin this journey today, maybe there's someone here that says, man, I, I want more of the Holy Spirit in my life, more of you, more of you. I've had all of what it takes, but more of you. Of things I've had my fill, and yet I hunger still. Empty and bare, Lord, hear my prayer for more of you. Lord, if there's anyone here that, that wants to just open their hearts up and say, God, whatever it is that you want of me, Holy Spirit, whatever area of my life that you want me to give to you, I will give it to you. I will start this series. I will start this day off of fresh and anew with you, Holy Spirit. We thank you. Holy Spirit, I thank you that we have already sensed your presence here with us. Wow, what an honor, what a privilege that the same Spirit that hovered over the face of the earth before you created it all is here today. 
And you want to be in us and on us. You want to dwell within us. Lord, thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand, please?